the last morning of Professor Dan Markell's life is a glorious Sunshine State Friday. At about 9 a.m., he leaves his Tallahassee home beside the trees dripping with Spanish... It was eight years ago this week, and you may remember hearing the news about it when it happened, about Canadian law professor Dan Markell, who was found murdered in his car right outside his home in Tallahassee, Florida, where he'd lived and taught at the local university. Markell was 41. He'd left behind two young sons and his stunned parents, Ruth and Phil Markell, in Toronto and a married sister. I didn't mention a wife, but Markell was divorced. And this is important because he was in the middle of a contentious custody battle with the ex-wife, Wendy Adelson. She'd wanted to move with the boys to Miami, where her parents live. The courts said no. Then he was killed. And literally a day or two after the murder, she moved the kids to Miami. She also changed their last names. And she's refused to allow Dan's family here in Canada to see the grandchildren for the last six years. The gunman, there were two of them, and a woman who helped them. They're all in jail. They were convicted of murder. They got paid a hundred grand for the job. But American investigators always maintained it was the ex-wife's family who ordered the hit. She's never been charged. She's sworn in court she didn't know anything about it. But police have now just arrested her brother for putting the plan into action as the mastermind. He's a dentist from Fort Lauderdale. And watching all the latest developments from her home in Toronto is Dan's mother, Ruth Markell. She spent the last eight years fighting for justice for her murdered son and fighting for the legal right in Florida to see her grandchildren. She's now written a new book about her personal journey through murder, grief, and living through three trials and soon to be a fourth. And the book is called The Unveiling. She's giving her first Canadian interview to us. You acknowledge the grief, but then there's a real important time. Uh, and, and I don't like the words move on, and I don't like any of those kinds of words because they are not the ones that you should be choosing. But it's an internal sort of discussion with yourself. And, and that's an important one to, to decide um, how you might want to redefine yourself, how you might want to go from grief uh, to promise to something else. It can be done. That's the message. I'm Ellen Besner. And this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Monday, July the 18th, 2022. Welcome to the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Ruth Markell and her family will be marking Dan's eighth yard site on Tuesday, July 19th. They'll be going to synagogue and she'll pay a visit to his grave. He's buried at Pardes Shalom Cemetery, north of Toronto. For the Markells, the loss of their son has been unimaginable. But she says being alienated from the grandchildren has compounded the tragedy. And so she's been working to get the state of Florida to bring in a new law that allows grandparents to petition for visitation rights if one parent has killed the other. Governor Ron DeSantis just signed the new law a few weeks ago. It's named after Dan Markell. Ruth Markell joins me now about her new book and why she hopes her story will help other victims' families find hope. So I am really delighted to be here, and I'm even more delighted because um, this is really has been an American story, and um, I would love the Canadian audience, and particularly the Jewish audience, uh, to know about my book. Why do you think that it's um, not been so covered well by Canadian media as opposed to you know blanket coverage in the States? It's a really different, and not even, it's not even a complicated answer. My son, Dan Markell, was born in Montreal, uh, grew up in Toronto, 
but left at 17, 18 to go to Harvard. And he never came back, so he went to Harvard undergrad, went to Harvard Law School, went to England, went to Israel. A lot of nice things brought me lots, our family, lots of nachas, as they say. And he became very internationally acclaimed uh, in the States uh, in two ways, as a legal scholar, and more specifically, um, that he started something called Prof's Blog, which was for young professors and young law students. So he had a whole international uh, profile, and he was followed by lots of places. To me, I love him as the father of my grandchildren, and so on. But the point is that most of the people who he knew uh, really were from the American community, particularly the American legal community and Jewish community. I want to ask you about the book, because I know that it's just starting to come out in terms of your media appearances, uh, pre-orders, what have you. What do you hope people will see the purpose of the book is when they, when they get it? What, why do this? The title explains everything. The title is called The Unveiling, and the reason I chose that title is it's for twofold. This is the initial part of the group of the book is about grief. And one of the things that in my personal experience was at the very beginning, I was sad. I was in a daze. I was in an out, an out of body experience at a certain point. It was hard, but it was only when I started to actually after we selected the monument and start to go to the, to the gravesite and see the monument and covered it. You know, as you know, the Jewish tradition is you have basically a piece of fabric which covers the monument. It was at that point that, like, it just hit me, like my like I could have collapsed and gone underground myself. And that the reason why I chose the title, it's the beginning of my grief journey. I won't tell you that before I was playing, because I wasn't, but this was different. The, the deepening, the, the impact, and so forth, of actually seeing the monument on the gravesite. And we talk about that even in the Jewish religion, the, fin the finality of it, right? This is what's really the effect. So that was one reason. And the other reason is nothing to do with me personally, but I want to lift the curtain on homicide victims and others, and others suffering from violence and, and so forth. And that's what the book is about. One of the things that crime stories, whether it's on TV, my, my own story, uh, Dan's story. You know, it has a lot, of, a lot of glamour, a lot of sensationalism. There's, you know, fast cars. There's all kinds of arrests. There's anything you want to find in this story, even things like Peyton Place, you know, who has relationships with who and so forth, is, in, is, is there in the real story. But what is not in the real story at all, and all of the people who are suffering now, is what is it like to be a homicide victim? What does it feel like? What is the family going through? And they're really suffering. So, so for me, the whole point was, let's talk about what is it like to be behind the scenes. And the other reason I wrote it is about the trial life. And that trial life, when as soon as something happens, I mean, we had in Canada, the Iranian issue with the planes going down, there's investigations. You start to have to be involved in a very intense court system that you don't have the experience with. You don't have, you know, the language of crime is a whole new vocabulary. And so this is the purpose of the book. 
would you say now that you're on the other side of the writing and that the book is, is about to launch that it's been helpful to you and your family to have gone through this writing process? I think that the, the grief process continues. Um, and there's the, the founder of Mothers Against Drunk Driving has the best expression. I think her, her name, I, 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 I believe, I have to look it up again, is um, uh, can, can, Candace Light, uh, Lighten, I believe. But that's not the point. How she defines grief, there's a beginning, a middle, and the rest of your life. So the rest of your life with grief is the book doesn't end the grief. The book is a way of finding some meaning and, and, and then continuing on with the lifestyle. Yeah, now, our lifestyle is not is simple because it's a conspiracy murder with a lot of arrests. So we're going back to trials continuously. And so there's no, we're, the life is a roller coaster and, the, and you're always going in and out of having hearings and so forth. So, so this is not going to alleviate the grief. What it allows the book to do for me and, and, and others is it helps find meaning. And then it, it helps you uh, as having sort of what I would call a way out of just not living through the most difficult moments. I'm aware that you were able to see your American grandchildren uh, earlier this year. Can you describe how that went? And uh, well, well, yes. So what ha- so what happened actually uh, in February of 2022? We were actually supposed to have a Catherine McManus trial. The trial was then changed to May, 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 May 16th. And we suddenly got a note from Wendy advising us that there is a bar mitzvah coming up in May. And it was very similar and very timely uh, to the, to the new trial, but at the same time, very timely to the fact that legislation had just passed in both the House and the Senate. So, what happened was she invited us to the bar mitzvah. We said, we want to go. We're excited. And then I said to her, can we see the boys? We hadn't seen them for six years for ice cream on the day before. So she said, uh, if you want an in-person visit, come in April. And we did. We went on the plane early, early in the morning, and we saw the children. It, it, they're not children anymore. They're, they're big boys. And it, it was amazing. And that was, you know, the best experience um, that we could have. And that was on April 20th of 2022. I'm giving the dates because we come back to Toronto. Phil and I went and we come back. And the next morning, 6 a.m. in the morning, Charlie Adelson was arrested. So that's her brother. So, wow, like 24 hours, two big breakthroughs in this whole story, one on the criminal side and one on the grandparents' side. So so that was our, our experience. It was from the high to the low, though, because now you can't <laughs> see them for the bar mitzvah, I heard. Right, right? that's correct. But yeah, are you able to, like, email them, FaceTime them, or no? Well, we're no. going to try. I, I, You know, we have to keep this door open. This is my mantra right now. I did ask for, I wanted Shelley's children, that's my Canadian grandchildren. I, at this age, if everybody has at least a picture of their faces, so they Zoomed. They did a Zoom just recently, which is... Fabulous. So I'm, I'm hoping to keep this door open. It's it's a tough door to keep open, but uh, we have to keep trying. You mentioned a lot of things about you know cost to you health wise 
as well as emotionally and things. And how are you doing with your cardiac situation? Well, I, I became AFib, atrial fibrillation, at the time of the, losing the grandchildren. Like, it was interesting. And that's, that's a very common um, experience around grandparent alienation. What did the children, what did Ben and uh, Lincoln know, if anything, about this whole story? Since they're living with the family that's suspected of doing the murder, did they know anything? It's hard to tell. I, I don't think they've been um, naturally given any information. I don't, it's, it's very difficult to know what they have heard, let's call it from the street, if you know what I'm saying. Everybody has a phone and a computer, so yeah. all their friends and, would you know. know. For, yeah, exactly. So, and, and what who says what to them directly? Um, you know, there is, they have been protected, let's call it, and shielded in, in, in some ways uh, not to be overexposed. But I don't have um, a real good uh, sort of knowledge of what they know and they don't know. Is there any possibility or any dream that you will get custody of those kids? It, it, we don't know how there's certain criteria. It isn't our intention to, to get custody. Um, it is also a process that we would not have any control over. This is all now would be through the Florida courts if there were situations that the courts felt um, that you know anything could be possible but we, we, this is not where we want to be. We, we want the children to have as much of a normal life as they can have. And um, I'm most worried about their long-term mental health, uh, which is, you know, a real worry uh, versus custody kinds of issues, which are not on my mind right now. Okay. Is there anything that you would like to add about the fact uh, that we're talking about the book here in Canada? Anything you want our audience to know? This is a story. It's a terrible story, horrendous story. But you can move from what I call grief to promise. Here, here we, there is hope, there is resilience. And the important part is to, at some point, uh, define yourself again and find meaning, which is what I did through the advocacy work with the grandparent legislation. Not to say that the grief is going away. I mentioned earlier that the new law in Florida is to help grandparents get visitation rights in certain narrow cases. Right now, it doesn't apply to the Markells because the ex-wife has not been convicted of anything. Although in the new charges against the ex-brother-in-law, Wendy and her mother, Donna, have been named as co-conspirators. So we'll have to watch and see how that works out. Meanwhile, Ruth Markell and her family will be watching on July 29th when the brother makes his first court appearance for the murder. Plus, on that same day via Zoom, they'll be giving a victim impact statement when the woman who helped the gunman is sentenced. If you want to know more about the case or follow along or how to buy the book, The Unveiling, all the links are in our show notes. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Thank you all for listening. If you liked today's show, why not send it to a friend? We'll be back tomorrow. Mm-hmm.